welcome to Never Rewrites. I'm Isaac Askew. And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to discuss interviewing, or the hiring process. So the genesis of this episode is that Isaac and I are looking for new jobs. No, wait, wait. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> I hope my boss doesn't hear this episode. <laughs> no, we are not looking for new jobs. We are happy where we are. Uh, we do know, though, however, that it is January when we are recording this. And lots of people change jobs at the beginning of the year because they get their annual bonuses and they leave. Uh, there's also lots of layoffs, unfortunately, in the tech industry. Google just laid off a bunch of people. I'm sure all of our listeners, all of our many, many listeners from Google are sad. <laughs> Maybe we have one. Um, so it's a great time to talk about interviewing and the good, the bad. So I thought I would take a swing at it mm -hmm. uh, first. And I'm going to say that as an interviewer, like somebody who has done a lot of interviews, one thing that I find can really make and break uh, an interview and really just the whole candidate experience, please read the resume before you walk in the room. Uh, I have, hmm. I've been on the other side of the table where it's clear the other person never saw my resume before they sat down and they spent a couple minutes in awkward silence reading it to figure out what questions they want to ask. Totally unprepared. Uh, and I have, been somewhat on the other well i haven't i try to always make sure i've read the resume i did one time mix up my interviews and i walked in with the wrong resume so i was unprepared because mm. i had my afternoon's interview and or sorry i had the i was interviewing two people and i was prepared for the wrong one got it yeah uh so nobody is perfect but just be ready. Have read the inter have read the resume. Scan it again. Circle all the typos, and <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but always like, come into the room prepared. Yeah, you, you yeah. are. Remember that it is as much they are interviewing you and your company as you are interviewing them. You are not some lord offering them the possibility of becoming a serf, and. <laughs> being tied to the company like it's it's a two-way street it's interesting you bring up the resume thing um because i've definitely been guilty of not reading the resume mm. not that i didn't care about the person in particular but it was almost like a separation of concerns for me in my role in hiring where like they've already been vetted and they've already made it through to the process where they want to pull me in and in general I'll do, I'll glance over like okay here's the technologies they know like as a, as an engineer here's the so what is the they role that, that you're in you're the closer you're the Iceman you're there to kill them <laughs> <laughs> no they they it's almost like a, for me they'll bring me in to like dig a bit further into some of the details and technologies that they've worked with so if it's like a, if it's a front end person uh, they might pull me in and be like all right it says here that they worked with Vue and Next.js and React. Uh, can we? Can you ask them questions kind of related to that or give them some kind of hypothetical in which they can still talk about the experience but then go into detail about the the work that they've done enough that you know that they, they kind of know what they're talking about. So it's a mixture of that and then sometimes what we'll do is give them like, um, like if it's a front-end, again, a front-end uh, position, maybe pull up a page that's slow and ask them, mm. How would you do? How would you start debugging this? 
that way you're not using like a contrived question that people could just download or chat GPT and answer to or things like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, here's, here's just a random page we've got, you know, we had some troubles with this page. What would you, how would you go about it? And just like completely spitball a brand new problem. Nobody would have, would have run across before. And so that's hmm. kind of, it's more of a, it's like a mixture of culture fit to see how I like working with them to get them to talk about their problem out loud and to like explore some of the technologies they've claimed. So I just need to, I just need like a little bit of snippets from the resume. I don't need to see every position and how they've climbed the career ladder. And or, I mean, I could, but it, 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 it doesn't impress me. And that's not generally what I'm going for in the end. I'm right. going for, can I work with you? And are you bullshitting <laughs> about how much experience you've really got and the things that you've listed? Yeah. Speaking of resumes, uh, people, it's one page per decade of experience rounded down or, uh, Rounded down. Well, I guess you. I hate one. resumes. <laughs> I, like, it, I, I've seen people with three years' experience in a ten-page resume, and I was, I was floored because I had. Right. Uh, I guess people are so picky about that too, though, because they even go if it's a if it's more than one page, I just throw it right in the bin. I've heard that before too. Like, like you're supposed to put everything into one easy to digest page or you just like, you're just not even considered it's kind of wild. I mean, it's a good idea to put everything in one easy to digest page, but I've, I've never been to somebody's resume because it was too long. Yeah. Well, I have been it because I read it and it was too long, but I did not <laughs> bin it because like, you know, I didn't cite unread throw it away because mm. yeah. Yes. Also, don't put anything on your resume that you don't want to talk about. That's a good one. Uh, I've I've encountered this one repeatedly where people have worked at interesting places and you will ask and they're like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. And I'm yeah. not talking like recently, like they worked at Enron 15 mm -hmm. years ago. Um, you know, this was like 2005. So this is like 10 years before... Like they worked at Enron ten years before it imploded, like not at the very frothy end. And like, oh, I don't want to talk about Enron. <laughs> frothy. Oh. And it's like, oh, okay. Like you don't yeah, need, think... you don't need like every job you've ever had all the way back to school. Right. Well, that's the thing too. Like, I, I used to have C plus plus listed on my resume. Mm. It was there because I had to study C plus plus and Java a lot in college. And once I got a job outside of college and for 10 years after I touched Java very only, only recently and never, I've never touched C++ in my professional career. <laughs> actually, it was like, we used it so much in four years of schooling, but mm -hmm. I, I didn't actually have a job that used it enough. And then I was asked about it one time. Cause it was like, it was on my LinkedIn for a long time. Cause it used to be something I could talk about. And I realized it'd been so long that I was like, I, I should just take this off my resume. <laughs> Maybe I should do a little bit of cleanup and take away some things that were so old. It's not really relevant. Like you're talking about, just leave it off. Right. You could have, you can have your LinkedIn profile that talks about maybe your history of doing things. And then your resume, not necessarily based off your LinkedIn profile, but a resume is like a shorter, uh, you know, snippet of that, that goes into the relevant details that is, that, are, that are like tailored to the position you're trying to get. Right. Your resume is not your law, whole life job history. Yeah. It is 
relevant job history to the position that you're applying for. Uh, last time I was actually actively doing the blind, you know, searching for a job type thing. I had three or four versions of my resume where I, you know, was highlighting different things and I removed different things. And that's just how you, you do like, as an example, I did a lot of P uh, I I did a lot of ASP Mm -hmm. in the early aughts and I didn't want to do it anymore. So I took it off my resume. <laughs> Fair, yeah. I've done that. Like, um, actually, for the my my current job, I'm I'm a principal role currently, but I applied for principal at the time, and I was a senior at the job prior, and mm-hmm. I kind of applied for it, hoping I could, you know, or I was almost like seeing in my principal level at where they're at, because you know everybody's got their different senior L one, L two, L three. Maybe I was a principal L one, you know, here that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like all right, let me call myself principal and see, let me make a principal looking resume for things I've done at that level. I had a senior level that I did for a different company. One was a, a tech lead. The role was just mm. called a tech lead and I had led teams before. So I was like, okay, well, let me talk about uh, experiences where I worked with, you know, product managers or customers to get things across the line and things that are not things you normally talk about maybe in an engineer perspective because it's not technically... They can be related, but like you would definitely want to highlight that communication and working as a team more in the tech lead role than you would just an individual contributor role. Um, so I guess it's still kind of NIC, but you know what I mean? There's a little bit of crossover in like the how much you work with other people versus roles where you can just purely be head down if you wanted to. Yeah, the idea of just reframing not even reframe, but just tell different stories or talk about different experience depending upon the role. Like a, a senior dev is a hands-on role where it's still it's the last rung where you are still supposed to mostly do what they tell you. Mm-hmm. And if you move up to the lead, principal, staff, those levels, you're either supposed to be hunting up your own work uh, or being in touch with the leadership to understand and reshape it. And so if you're trying to make that jump, you should definitely talk, you you should reshape your resume around times and instances where you brought, you changed the dynamic of, you didn't just do something that was technically hard. You realized that the thing that needed to be done had to be done. Right. Or that you saw it through to delivery or something. Got it. Well, that's, I feel like the, 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 um, we could split this into a couple of long-running conversations. But there's one I want to yeah. get to in our go for one. it, um, and that's basically the, the interviewing process. So okay. after you after the resume looks fine, <laughs> you made it past whoever's preferences for how long your resume should be, and you you know you match everything, or you do whatever that the criteria is for like finding the different keywords that are in your resume, and it filters through for you in an automated sense. You make it past all that. They want to get you in and start talking to you. Um, I feel like there's a ton of frustration in this particular phase of the process. And there's a lot we can go into. So I'm going to list off a couple of things and maybe you can stop me at some. Um, But one of them is the length of this process, how long it takes, how many different interviews you have to go through Mm. to get to the end to finally get your offer. Um, people not discussing before you start this eight hour 
five day process, whoever, you know, however long it is. People not discussing salary, like beforehand. Like, just tell me what the band is before I even begin this process. Like, so I don't waste my time. They might give it to you later or ask for your salary expectations, like on the second person you talk to. Oh God, yeah, never, never flash the kimono first. Um, yeah, you going back a step. The mm -hmm. they should be as an interviewer. You should be very upfront about what the process looks like. You know, how, what's your what's your company's timeline? What's the you know how many interviews rounds is it usually? How long are the rounds? Yeah, you should be true, fair. You know, is there going to be a take home assignment? Should be upfront about all that and. Salary is a hard one mm -hmm. because it's it's this terrible power dynamic. And I've never been a good salary negotiator, but it, you definitely don't want to uh, give the first answer unless you're going to you know, do something absurd and anchor high. Be like, oh, a million dollars. <laughs> For sure. Like you want to give, because like, <laughs> it only hurts you. Like if you pitch a number that you think is reasonable and they're like, oh, <laughs> we were going to pay him like 50K more than that. Uh, then like, <laughs> you know, they want to pay you as least as possible because they're trying to get the real fill, but they're not trying to spend all their money. <laughs> right. And just FYI, it is now illegal in many states to ask the candidate what their previous compensation was. Yeah, I heard, I heard it. I heard it phrased these days as like, "What's your expectations? What are your expectations right. around salary?" <laughs> Clever well, way. To they can ask your that. expectations, right? They can't ask, "What did you earn at your last job?" But yeah, and that's just their veiled way of kind of hinting at that. What are your expectations? Like, essentially, what are you currently making? Or it gives you right. the opportunity to be like, "Well, I'm currently making X, Y, Z." You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah suddenly, yeah. they've got the same answer. You know? Right. Yes. So I guess the advice here is, do not tell people what you are currently making. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they push hard, give an absurd number like, oh, you know, a million dollars total comp sounds fine, but we could discuss the particulars depending upon how you want to structure the package. Well, if you don't, then then what do you what do you do instead? If someone says, you know, what are your salary expectations, or you know, tries to find that number from you, you'd be like, oh, um, just whatever market value is these days. You know, like, how, how, what would you do? Uh, I would anchor high, so I would. I might go with, oh, you know, a million dollars a year sounds fair. <laughs> uh, and obviously, no one pays a million dollars a year, even, you know, in the glory days of a few years ago when people were making a million dollars at Facebook and Google, that would be a combination of like 200000 in cash and 800000 in stock paid out over five years. So, yeah, you know, a million dollars cash, everyone knows is not a thing. So you could, and when you say anchor high, the, what you're trying to do is set expectations uh, that you're going to be expensive because you deserve it mm -hmm. and you're worth it. But you also don't want to, you're, you're just throwing out an anchor. You're, you're trying to pull the conversation to the high end. And, you know, hopefully they will laugh and they'll be like, ah, ha, ha, give me a real number. And, then you say, well, you I gave you a number, you give me a number. <laughs> you think that'll work? 
I've never tried this before. <laughs> I think next time I will. Uh, I recommend, so Cynical 101, mm-hmm. in a previous episode, I know we talked about uh, taking interviews as a way to get experience. Yes, it's very good. So again, if you take an interview to get experience and they are getting to the job offer stage, this is a great, and you don't want the job. This is a great time to work on your negotiating skills. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I know Hacker X in Chicago, they hold like a, it's like a speed dating, or I don't know if they changed the, the format, but it used to be like a speed dating for like companies. Mm-hmm. And you would basically sit down for five minutes and talk to uh, an employer and say, this is who I am. And you basically convince them, you know, to hire you. And it was a way to kind of like quickly meet a bunch of people. You just, as soon as the buzzer sounds, you go to the next table and, you know, you just see if it even mm-hmm. stick, that kind of thing. And it was a very fun power dynamic because I, I went there years ago, you know, when I lived in Chicago and I had a job and they'd always be like, you know, why do you want to work for us? And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you convinced me to work for you. Like, what are your benefits? You know, tell me about the job and like that kind of thing. Because it was really nice in those positions when you do have a job or if you're not even looking around to be invited to a place like HackerX mm-hmm. to do just that. Talk to somebody, practice that, talk about salary expectations, all the things that you might not be able to do if there was a power dynamic of I need money in a job right now because I've been laid off. You had all this practice beforehand. Right. It, practice is, is wonderful. The power dynamic is wonderful. That's you know, Even if what you're doing is nothing more than taking recruiter calls mm-hmm. where you know they're going to talk to you about the position. You say, well, what does the position pay? And they'll say, oh, well, it depends on experience. And you say, okay, what are the bands? And again, it, these cases where you don't actually care what the answer is, what you need to do, what you're working on is getting confident yeah. in asking the question. Right. Okay. Um, but yes, if they, if after the, you know, anchor high at a million dollars, and, you know, if they kept pushing, like, oh, ha, ha, be serious. And like, oh, well, you throw me something. I threw you something. I might then start quoting, well, I'm sure you're not paying as well as Google, but Google is paying this for this level, for the level of work I do. Yeah. I guess there's some rationale around what your maybe somewhat exorbitantly high salary is. 300K because Google's paying that. And you, like, see what they say. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, Google, I think that they're paying, like, 250 plus a ton of options. Mm-hmm you're not Google. So I don't expect you to give me that, that level of, you know, insane options. Plus you're probably not public, but like, what do you, you know, you just keep going back to here's examples of other companies that pay very well and the packages are structured in various different ways. So again, what does your package look like? Yeah. Like if you're going to offer me stock, okay. I, you know, that's worth, it's like counterfeit money. It's not worth nothing, but it's not worth the face value either. Unless it's public and you can sell it. <laughs> All right. Um, I've got another pet peeve. Have we, have uh, we talked about salary enough? I, move I, I think we one? have burned it to the ground. Great. Uh, next one. Um, coding challenges. <laughs> this might be a controversial one. So I... Yeah. used to be a big fan of coding challenges. I used to be a big fan of take-home assignments. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm at a point in my career where 
I would only do it if I was up, you know, hard up against the wall and I needed money. Yeah. But I think at this point in my career, if you said, oh, we're going to do a coding challenge or a coding assignment, the professionalism in me says I wouldn't abort an interview, like an active interview if they sprung it on me. Yeah, sure. But if I knew it was coming, I would probably turn it down. Yeah. I think for me, it depends on the challenge, really. Because I mentioned hmm. one that was kind of one a moment ago. Like whenever I was saying, here's a slow page, what would you do to fix it? It's not necessarily oh, that's, coding. That's not it's, a coding challenge to me. Okay. Yeah, let me get let me go further into it. it. That one's not necessarily coding per se, but it still involves them like, you know, sharing their screen and, you know, showing their terminal or showing, you know, inspecting Google Inspector and like, you know, what kind of network tab they would use to see if the like the network was slow and that's why the page was slow and things like that that kind of still get more into that kind of at that similar vein of things. And for though to for me, those are a bit more genuine. Mm-hmm. Where it gets tacky is the fizzbuzz level things and the leak code level things and the right. how to ace the programming interview, solve <laughs> Fibonacci or Towers of Hanoi things. If someone asks me, invert, invert a binary tree, you know, all these kind of things that like are absolutely not indicative of the role that you'll be doing at your current job. Like if your job, mm-hmm. if they need to hire somebody and scale a team up because they're having some particular problem, and they don't have the resources, they're trying to scale something up, they're trying to fix a particular problem you might be good at. And then they hit you with solve Fibonacci for me in a recursive way. And you're in and, and while everyone's like watching you, you know, cause you're like, you might be being interviewed and you've got 20 minutes and like the rest of the 30 minutes, we're going to be asking you questions, but you got 20 minutes to think about this and you're like completely like, again, it's a waste of time for me because you could sit there and try to solve it. And even if you were really good at solving it, because you remember it from school, it doesn't say much about whether you, you can actually do the job. And even if you can't solve it because you don't remember the easy way to do it, it's completely zero uh, analysis into how good of a a problem solver you might be related to SaaS problems that you've been working on for a decade and not, you know, these kind of things. Right. I think the, the, somebody made a comment that I heard somewhere along the way, sorry to whoever it was, I don't remember, (laughs) Uh, but they said, you know, those uh, leak code hacker rank type problems are a not very subtle way to discriminate against uh, older programmers. Because the people who remember that stuff cold are the people who just got out of college or have time to study. Or, you know, the the very, very few people who actually use that (laughs) stuff in their day-to-day work. And if you aren't in that group, right, it's how much work are you going to put in? Because I remember I took a few shots at trying to get in Google and I spent 30, 40 hours studying. Yeah. And, you know, that's not, I mean, that's 34, that's a week's worth of work to try and pass a test. And, you know, in retrospect, I'm sorry I spent that much time on it. Yeah. They, I, I applied for them years ago. And I remember the, one of the first questions they asked me, I thought I was being clever with it because <laughs> uh, it was for Google. Uh, mm-hmm. And they asked me what the big O notation of the quicksort algorithm was. I, I might've mentioned this on a previous episode too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't remember big O notation. I mean, I remembered big O notation from algorithms class in college, but I didn't remember the particular O notation for that algorithm. 
off the top of my head. And I was like, jokingly said, I, I would probably Google it because <laughs> I'm talking to Google and, you know, I thought it'd be funny in the interview, but I was honest too, because like, yeah, yeah I would just look it up. Cause why would you need to commit that to memory? Right. <laughs> it's of no value. <laughs> it's of zero value. Uh, but they weren't impressed by that. They, they no. didn't think it was very funny. Like they, they assumed that I would be able to like, I have, I'm such a computer scientist that I have, I have memorized every single important figure. I've read every book. I can come, I can recite Sandy Metz and yeah. you know <laughs> Bob Martin. Anything. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to remember. I know in one of the last ones I did, they asked me to it was some mathematical thing, and I said, Well, realistically, I wouldn't never do this because I would just use the standard library. But I'm gonna assume that you're asking me not to use a standard library. Right. Yeah. Because for the purpose of you know talking about this. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the techniques that I've seen that I think I would still go for, um, and it's rare that I've seen this, but occasionally I have seen companies that have some discrete chunk of work and they'll pay you for it. Like, Oh, see, I do like, like that. Yeah. Like, Hey, we need, here's our code or here's the data and we need an algorithm to sort to do this. And, you know, we think it'll take about a week. We'll pay you whatever, five grand or two grand and we'll own the work. And then we'll discuss, you know, whether or not from that, we'll discuss whether or not we want to hire you. That's kind of a cool model. And it's like, okay. Yeah. No free work. That kind of thing. No free work. You know, we expect the work to be work level. Right. I guess a note of caution. If you are doing like a take home assignment and you do it do it at work level because whoever reads it is going to assume that your work is never going to be better than that. Yeah. So I've seen lots of candidates go down in flames because they just submitted terrible answers, like answers that were reason that were correct. They worked, but the code was so shitty that I was like, Oh, I, I can't imagine working with this person. The code is so wackadoodle. Yeah. Um, all right, so I think that. Oh, actually, one more thing before we move on. When we were in Oakland for the, for a conference back in mm -hmm. October, yeah, we encountered two uh, hiring agencies. Basically, it was like a companies that were, would do vetting for mm -hmm. you. They would vet the, the 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 software programmers, and they would vet. Um, they would give you challenges, like programming challenges. And I actually went up to them and talked to them and they almost just assumed like said we, we, we you know this is the problem we're solving you know we know that you guys have issues with people cheating on their exams or cheating on their programming questions you give them and i'm like what a bold assumption yeah <laughs> well, first of all no, i don't think we have that problem and they well, said you're oh, at the well, wrong conference <laughs> yeah yeah and they, i was like i don't think we have that problem and they're like well how do you prevent them from like you know chat gpting an answer to your question during the interview and i'm like well, we don't ask them questions that have been asked before because <laughs> they're thinking like if you're going to ask them like from a book of questions, like some people like apparently some people will, will leak like Adobe's hiring process and the questions mm -hmm. Adobe might ask that gets on the Internet, makes cycles and you can download it and get prepared for the interview in advance. And I guess that's what they were trying to counter. And I'm like, we don't even do that. We don't even ask the same people the same questions at this company. We just like we see what their experience looks like and craft an interview based on that on the spot. And it's not hard to do. 
but apparently so many companies are doing it this way where they have just cookie cutter questions and crap like that from leak code or whatever. Right. They have no, problem with people no investment at all in the interviewee. Right. It's just like canned questions, which is the most terrible way you could possibly interview somebody in my opinion. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not ready and willing to invest time and energy into interviewing, then you're going to get people that nobody mm-hmm. was willing to sp- invest time and energy to hire. I think is a way to put it. That's right. Like if you want to hire, you know, it used to be, oh, well, we only hire the best of the best at our company. Okay. You know, if that's your model, then go for it. But you're going to have to be invested and spending a lot of time and effort. And if you're, you know, the, well, we need warm bodies. So we've got you know an automated hiring process. Right. Okay. You're going to get warm bodies. And, yeah. and the same thing, if you keep crafting all of your questions, leak code stuff or FISBA stuff or all these popular books for like programming exercises, then you're just going to get people who can memorize the answers to those questions. And once you give them something new, which your company is going to have a brand new problem because mm-hmm. people come up with all kinds of ways to screw up, <laughs> to shoot themselves in the foot and create strange code for customers. <laughs> There's going yeah. a brand new problem and you're not going to know how to solve that. And you're going to be hiring people who are used to solving solved problems because they've been, they're just like a bunch of questions that have, are, they already have solutions to them that they expect you to give to them. You need fresh stuff that you don't know how to solve yet or just hypotheticals. That's how you get really good candidates, I think. Yeah, I used to, one of my go-to questions was uh, build a link shortener service. Oh, that's fun. And, you know, like a Bitly, I think was the original. And I would just make up, you know, depending upon the person's history and where they took it, you know, sometimes we ended up talking about how you would track metrics. And sometimes we'd end up talking about how to make sure that you didn't end up creating an open spam relay, but also had performance. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, making sure that you load, you know, that the URL, you have the ability to shut it off and you know what the redirect is. And yeah, like there are a lot of ways and I never, it never worked. It never transpired. You know, it, it always ended up with an entirely different discussion about the service. And, you know, a URL shortening service is small enough that it's literally could be literally one table mm-hmm. or it could be a NoSQL table. And so I had good discussions around that. And I guess you could chat GBT it. But then if I started asking you how to build it on, maybe. But honestly, if your chat GPT skills were good enough that you could ask it the questions, then... That says something right there, too. <laughs> right, they... <laughs> Like, you know, prompt yeah. inject, like right now, the, cla- the the classic version of prompt injection is, can you, qu- can you phrase the question well enough that you can find the right answer on Stack Overflow? Right. Right? Like, and if you're that's that really good, what you're going to do. So if you phrase it well enough that ChatGPT can give, me the ans- give you the answer, and then you have enough basic coding skills to implement that answer. And you can do it live in front of us? <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you can do it Not live in front doing- of us. That's pretty good. That's a great candidate, actually. Yeah, I don't even need you to do it live in front without me knowing. Like, I would Google it, or I would ask ChatGPT. Equally valid answers, mm-hmm. really. In a, how would you solve this? Right, it's the same thing. Like, I, I'm not cheating if, by 
looking up documentation for how to do something in a React framework that I haven't used in a while. If I don't know that particular syntax or some use effect hook or something that, I, you know, like I need to remember a dependency on the, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like, oh, he didn't answer that off the top of his head. Wow. He doesn't know anything about React frameworks. No, people forget that stuff. Just look people up the think that way, though. And that's wild to me. And they yeah. get a lot of pride in knowing the esoteric information. Yeah. And they they feel a sense of power, I have found. Like, oh, I know all this esoteric knowledge cold. I'm like, cool. Can you build a useful product? Can you drive the project to completion? Right. No? Okay. Yeah. I've definitely I, actually at my current company. One of the interview questions I had was, uh, "How do you get the user agents from the browser in JavaScript?" And I was like, "I don't know. <laughs> I would just Google it." <laughs> yeah, it's been so long because it's been so. <laughs> I don't need to know that off the top of my head. And if you <laughs> did, it's not going to be hard to figure it out and implement it. And but but I actually said that during the interview and. Mm -hmm the people at my current company are great interviewers and they laughed too. And they said that was probably what they would do as well. And we had a conversation about it and we kept it going, but I've definitely been at companies where either the, those, those types of people who are like very prideful of the esoteric knowledge were interviewing me or I've interviewed alongside people who are very picky and they're like, Hmm, they couldn't answer this really basic thing about like, they didn't know how C compiled down into assembly. So, they're not even computer scientists. Why would they be working at this company? And you're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't know that kind of thing or don't care to, how, to learn how to write compilers or build their own programming language. You know, like the, just because you're good at that and you care about that doesn't mean it's going to help us at our current company. Like <laughs> take a chill. Yeah, it almost certainly isn't. Yeah. So I think that's actually a good thing to say to any interviewers out there. Um, I think a good interviewer is somebody who can disarm the interviewee, the person they're trying to interview so that they're not tense. Mm -hmm. They're not like, you know, if, if you're tense and you're nervous, you can't answer questions quickly. Even questions, you know, the answer to, because yeah. you're on the spot, you have like stage fright and you're like, Oh, and then later in the shower, you're like, Oh, duh, that was, uh, I couldn't think about it. Cause everyone was staring at me. The same thing happens to a lot of people when you're put on the spot. Yeah. So you disarm them, make a conversation at it, have them talk a little about, about the history. And then once they get into something they're excited about, oh, oh, I can see they're excited. Tell me more about that in a way that's not judgmental, like kind of pull it out of them because you can see they've done a lot of good things, but don't hit them with a bunch of technological gotchas. You couldn't answer this one. That should be such a simple question. What's the first tag in an HTML document? They didn't know that. Who cares if they're a back-end engineer? Like, <laughs> no one cares. You know, like people, like, obviously Even the browser like doesn't one. care. True. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah, it may seem like, uh, how would they not know that? That's like the first thing you learn. You know, but like, who cares? Yeah, if you if learn before things, HTML. Right. Some people build stuff before HTML existed. <laughs> like, you know, that's fine. They're still just as valid of a computer scientist or a programmer or whatever. Yeah. So just like drop your own ego, I think would be a good lesson to the interviewee. Yeah, as an easy tactical tip for interviewers, have a schedule, uh, like a, you know, if you have an hour, 
right? Just go walk in knowing that you're going to send five minutes on the, I used to do a lot of interviews and I still remember like my spiel, just, you know, Hey, you know, this is who I am. Uh, I'm going to spend like five minutes talking to you about why the company is the best. Yeah. Uh, and then I want to spend, you know, 25, 30 minutes talking about all the, you know, interesting things from your resume. And then I want to give it a pause and give, turn it around to let you ask me any questions you want. Cause I know that sometimes that takes a while. Uh, and then if any time remaining, we'll go back to discussing interesting things from your work history, you know, and then I'd say, you know, does that sound good? And the, so then, because later on when you, first of all, always make sure that to leave time for people to ask you questions. Uh, that's yeah. another peeve of mine. If, if you don't let me ask questions or you get annoyed at me asking questions, right? Like I am going to have to work with you and I mm -hmm. can guarantee you, I will be one of the most in, on the high end of people who asks you questions. Right. So if this is a problem. Let's nip this in the bud right now. For sure. Uh, but just, I don't want to make that jarring. Like, Oh, I've screwed up and they're now, they're done talking, asking me questions. I want to set the expectation that I'm going to ask them quite, I'm going to give them time for questions, but mm -hmm. you know, not for a bit. And two, when I make that switch, it's not jarring. Cause yeah. I'll, you know, I'll have it out there. Uh, sometimes I'd even set a timer so that I wouldn't ever have to look at my watch. I just like set a timer. I'm like, Oh, that timer is means that it's now your turn to ask me questions until the end. You know, and then if there's, you know, also disarm them by saying, Hey, maybe you won't have enough questions to fill it. And that's fine. Especially the later in the day you are. Yeah. That's an interesting, I, I agree with all that. There, there's also something uh, that I'm kind of thinking of now, which is like uh, people who don't have questions to ask, like you at the very end of it, you said, you have any questions for us? I'm like, Nope. All good. And I guess there could be a few reasons for that. Because uh, the first thing I was thinking was like I would I would almost always want them to have questions because I think it's kind of weird if you're interviewing somebody and they don't have any questions about the role. Like mm -hmm. either you did a really good job explaining everything that they're going to need to know there in like short time that you had, which is very unlikely, you know, or they just are not really they don't or, or they, they they don't care like as much. They really just want the the job because they're just trying to pay the bills, which is actually kind of valid too. <laughs> mm -hmm. You don't need to love your job. Everyone kind of wants that of the person, but like sometimes the person really just needs a job and they don't really care as much about the job they're doing. They want to be a mercenary. I'm not really sure if that's valid or not. It feels like it should be valid either way, but I could also see a company wanting somebody who likes someone who's excited about their job, you know, but I'm, I'm kind of of the, I'm on the side of, of the little guy just trying to get a job. <laughs> yeah. I don't hold it against anyone because I don't know what conversations they've ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, like, especially if I'm the last interviewer, True. a yeah. lot of questions either means that the other people did a bad job setting them up. They're asking, you know, they either did a bad job answering in the earlier ones. The person's just asking to ask. Mm -hmm. uh, or they've answered. They had a lot of, yeah. right. You, but like a lot of times, if you're the last one, like I just like, I know I've certainly said, uh, I had a million questions for the first person. But at this point, I think I've got everything I, you know, that I'm looking for. That's a good thing too. Like now that now that I'm talking about it out loud, have, having empathy for that last interview. If someone doesn't mm -hmm. have any more questions to ask or doesn't ask any for you, 
they might just be tired, man. Yeah. <laughs> I would be totally tired. It's okay. Like, I guess the more that I'm talking about it out loud during this podcast, the more I'm kind of like, it's okay, really, if they don't have questions, because there's plenty of reasons for them not to at that point. Right. You know, use context, I suppose, to figure out if you're okay with that. Right. And I've, I've worked at, or I've interviewed at places, I guess I actually worked at some, where, like, it was a technical screen, then probably an hour, hour and a half long talk with a manager. And then they would bring you in for more technical interviews. Mm. So by the time I talked to the hiring manager for an hour and a half, I didn't really have general questions anymore. Yeah. A couple of times I've definitely said to people, I know I've already mentioned this to blah, blah, so-and-so, but I'm going to ask the question again for you. You're like, yeah, so I guess it can get a little bit repetitive, mm-hmm. even if you already have a list of intelligent questions to ask during your, your interview process. So, yeah. Yes. But if you need... If you need a question, a good one to ask is something in the flavor of what question should I have asked that I didn't think to ask? Hmm. You're saying what question would you really have liked me to ask you? Yeah. I feel like that would almost be something that you would do post. Like, like as a follow up email, like a thank you email, like, Oh, I was just kind of curious if, you know, I only had a few questions to ask and now I'm wondering what kind of questions would you have want me to ask? Or if they denied you and you were like, why did you deny me? Is there any questions you, you expected me to ask or something like that? seems weird to bring it up during the interview though. Yeah. Or at least I wouldn't. Hmm. Yeah. It's one of those, if you don't have anything asking them what I should have asked or what would probably be the best thing to ask would be a good question. You got to make it natural. You got to ask a few people. I guess so. I guess part of it almost feels like a cop out, though. <laughs> what questions do you want me to ask? <laughs> right? No, it's more of like, you know, if you were interviewing me for a role and at the end I was yeah. like, okay, so what technical questions should I have asked uh, about how your technology is set up that I didn't know enough to ask about? Oh, that's a good way to do it. I didn't know enough yet to ask good questions. Yeah. It's a better way to phrase it. All right. Uh, um, I do have one other thing that I think it might be interesting for the listener. Okay. Um, one more and then I think we're running long. It's yeah. It's way more than 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's a good, it's a good episode. <laughs> um, one thing I really hate that I think you should do anyway is, is a, is a, a follow up email. Mm. Uh, I always thought it was really dumb, like a thank you email. It just seemed kind of like you're begging for the job or a little, you know, too much to me. Personally, I just thought it was cheesy. But almost everybody at every company I've worked at so far that I was like, when we're in the round table at the end trying to talk about how good the candidate was, somebody inevitably was like, they sent this great follow-up email thanking us. They asked a couple more questions. And that was like a selling point for people. They're happy mm-hmm. that you still engaged. And again, like for me, I was always like, I never even did that. I, I, I thought follow-up emails were silly. But now I'm kind of like, eh, that might be silly to me, but just do it anyway. People really tend to appreciate right. that. Just do it. I know that I got my first job out of college because I was the only one who sent a follow-up email. Right. And, and I don't think I sent many follow-up emails in the years after. So. It totally depends, but the safe side is just send the email. It's right. <laughs> Even if it's something silly. It shouldn't take it. you very long. It's yeah. the polite thing to do. And yeah. It won't it can't hurt you. Yeah. I guess unless they hate polite people. 
In which, <laughs> in which case, case you, you dodge the bullet. Don't, you, you dodge the bullet. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we, we've uh, we've hit on the topic for quite a bit. Yes. Um, would love for, especially for this episode, I feel like that we touched on a lot of things that may be especially a little bit controversial, um, especially for hires. Uh, elite co-challenges and things like that are popular. So if anybody has any comments on that, uh, we would definitely love comments. It's really easy to, to comment on this episode through Spotify. I don't know about through Apple Podcasts or whatnot, but we have it on YouTube as well or just, you know, somewhere. <laughs> We'd love the feedback. Yes. Um, and if you want to come on and argue or discuss your company's hiring practices and why they're awesome, yes. uh, we'd be happy to have you on. Or tell us when we're wrong. Well, everything we said here was actually wrong. <laughs> yes. We, we'd love to have people on to tell us why we're wrong. We, we're, we can take it. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening. I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And I'm Isaac Askew. And this is Never Rewrite. <laughs>